Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. And so today, it is an incredible honor for our faith family to get together. Uh, we have some people out today, but this is still an incredible opportunity, whether it's through the podcast or through Facebook Live, or we're so pumped you're here with us today. But we have a special guest speaker. I've known uh, this guest speaker since he was 10-ish, okay? Don't know the exact time frame, but it's been a long time. Uh, but I've only really known him probably three weeks total, the time we've spent together. Our lives have just kind of intersected in multiple ways uh, over short periods of time since he was about 10 years old. Today, Noah Graves is going to be bringing the word and preaching for us today. In 2008 was, I was a student pastor in Tulsa, and we took a team of students to Tijuana, Mexico to love some orphans there. If you'll imagine a, a, a ministry that would sponsor orphans we do that. But we did this in Mexico as a student ministry. And so we loved on these precious, amazing kiddos. And we would go there to see them and do as much ministry as possible. But we would fly through San Diego. So we wanted to help out another ministry there in San Diego while we were in town. And so we partnered with this soon-to-be church, this church plant that was starting up in probably a week or so. And we were going to go pass out door hangers for them, which was Door, yeah, you have bad memories of passing out door hangers. Uh, these are here, a door hanger, okay? Even though it was on their car, another story. But it was still technically a door hanger. So we go to San Diego, we pass these out, and I meet a 10-year-old Noah Graves. And uh, he was already in church planning mode. Well, fast forward till today, and God has put on his heart to plant a church. He's a student at Oklahoma Baptist University, which is also near and dear to my heart. But Noah is part of the BGCO, and we've been partnered together with a, a coaching type of relationship. And communicating with Noah is like, hey, not only did we meet in San Diego, Noah and his dad and his family came when we first started to the Walmart parking lot. May 21st, probably, they were on the scene somewhere in that ballpark, right after the tornado. When we got started, his dad, Brad Gray, brought Noah and his brother, and they started helping us do ministry and disaster relief as we started as a church. And so our very first worship gathering, our parking lot, which I've told you time and time again, he was there for, which is super cool and amazing as well. How, how old were you then? You were just finished seventh grade, something like that? Yeah, it's crazy. Now, they were living in Joplin, Missouri at the time, which had just gone through a tornado there. And so that was all near and dear to their heart to come help Oklahoma City. And, uh, and so we got to, our, our lives intersected at that point, and then it is today, and now he will be preaching the word. And so we're excited for that, excited to welcome him, and excited to hear what the Lord has put on his heart. So y'all give a big welcome to Noah Graves as he comes and speaks. Awesome. Yes, I can attest uh, that... You did have church in a Walmart parking lot. Without a shadow of a doubt, one of the coolest things to ever be a part of is, especially in the midst of, like, disaster, if your car's going off, if one of you can hear that. Uh, but, no, it's really cool. So to be able to have, first of all, have church in a Walmart parking lot, but let alone have it directly after the, the midst of heartbreak, the midst of storm, it kind of, I'm sure, affirmed exactly 
the message to plant a church that was laid on John's heart. I'm most, I, can, I can speak for you when I say that for sure. Uh, and that was a really cool moment. So it is a blessing for me to be here because the last time I saw you was that Walmart parking lot. And so now that it's seven years later, I'm actually going to sit at, or stand on the stage of an actual building where you're uh, able to see the Lord use and bring a church is, is a blessing to me. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Noah. I grew up all over, uh, so I'm not really an Okie. Uh, I've learned a little bit of the, the y'all language to like try to figure it out, but reality is I have no idea uh, what, what's going on. But I love living in Oklahoma. I've been here since my senior year. I grew up primarily between San Diego and Joplin, Missouri, and I'm a student at OBU. And so I also have the opportunity and blessing to serve with the, uh, the Oklahoma Baptist State Convention. So through that, I get to work with different church plants. I'm actually at a church plant in Edmond called, called East Edmond Community Church. And so they told me I have to say hi since I'm going to be gone. So hi from East Edmond Community Church. Uh, but it is a blessing to be with you. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1. Not necessarily the Gospel of John, but we're going to be in 1 John. So this is going to be in the latter part of your Bible, uh, right before you hit Revelation and this is going to be one of his letters. Uh, so this is a blessing to be with you guys, but you have no idea who this 21-year-old is. And so I'm going to share a little bit more of my heart and who I am just so you can grasp of a little bit of where I'm coming from. So I go to OBU, and at OBU, we get to take a lot of trips. And one of those trips uh, I got to go on was to this place called Israel. If you've ever heard of Israel, it is real. Uh, there's my one dad joke for the day. Um, I, I, my team was so mad because I said that joke probably 45 times on that trip. Like, Paul, that is real. That is real. That is real. They didn't like me. Uh, but we would go there. And this is the place, that, you know, in the New Testament, Old Testament, that this biblical history was founded in Israel. And the different sites and stories that you read, it was, it was a cool opportunity to actually go and to see them. One of the places we got to go to is called the Church of Holy Sepulchre. If you know anything of Israeli history, they have like these two ideas of where they think the site of the tomb of Jesus was. One was called the Garden Tomb, which is uh, right outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And the other one is at the Church of Holy Sepulchre. So imagine this gigantic square, okay, but inside this gigantic square, there's four main religions that exist within the people of Jerusalem of the old city. And that was Arminianism, Christianity, uh, Judaism, and Islam. And we're at the Christian church, and the Christian church built this beautiful cathedral, and above that cathedral was this gold tomb, I think we have a photo of it, this gold tomb, and below and inside this gold tomb was what they believed was the tomb of Jesus. So we're in Israel, and like they gave us the different reasons of why they think it's this and why they think it's that, but they think it's this one for a handful of reasons because of the timing, the date, and the location. And so people, as you can tell, I took this photo, uh, they are scattered and crowded all throughout just to get into that. So it was about a three and a half hour wait just so that you could be inside that tomb. And what they would do is you would go in there and just to be able to touch the tomb, people would come from all over just to pray and to touch this tomb. So we go there. I have, like, when it comes to Silver Dollar City or amusement parks, I have no patience for lines. And I, but I, I wanted to see it, so I even tried to Google images, and I couldn't find a photo. But I, luckily, my roommate, actually, at the time, he, he, which is the size of, like, a McDonald's French fry, we have this next photo, he found this hole on the side. And my, my, my man Heath figured if he could just stick his whole body in and just maybe grab a photo of what was inside the tomb, he'd be able to see a little bit better. Nobody had ever thought of that before because nobody was as small as this dude. So he goes inside and he comes out. I took this photo. Like this isn't a photo I took while he was doing that. And he comes out. He's just like distraught, like just in, in shock. Like what's going on? And he goes, the, the, the priest inside took my hand and pried the phone open. 
And so he literally only lost his phone. He lost his phone in the tomb of Jesus. And so, uh, like, that's, you know, I think I just started an international crisis. Like, dude, no, you started a crisis with the Lord. You didn't start a crisis down here. Your crisis is going to go more up. And so he was like, oh, my, what do I do? So he goes to the front, and he's, like, trying to find a way to get in. But there's people all over, and he finds a priest, and he was like, I need to get my phone. Somebody took it in there. And he goes, how do you take it in there? So he explains, and he goes, you're, you're dumb. And eventually <laughs> he figures it out, and they're right there on the front it says, no pictures, holy sight. No pictures, holy sight in every language possible because they want to make that very known. So they got his phone back, and the guy was like, yeah, you must delete the photo. And so he deletes the photo, but luckily iPhones have that recently deleted album. So we have that photo of inside. That's them about to get in. Uh, if it's a, if I could do the live fart, you can kind of see him. Uh, if you, like, hold a live photo down, you can see it pan over. But this is my point from this story because, like, this was, it, it hit us when we were there. Because we'd go to these different sites like Capernaum, like the Sea of Galilee, the Garden of Gethsemane. And different people and their desire, we were surrounded by tourists. And they'd come and they just wanted to be able to touch something that Jesus touched. They wanted to be able to see, oh yeah, this is where Jesus in, in the Sea of Galilee, this is where he walked on water. Just to drink from this, the sea, just to be able to touch this, just to be able to see this. I need to be able to gain more faith. I was in a group with, from Cal Baptist. And the girl who, who was like in my small group said, I don't think I believe any of this. I don't think I can until I see it for real. I'm like Thomas, I need to be able to put my hand through the finger. And we're thinking, that's not what faith is. We're looking at 1 John 1 in this passage, which I'll, I'll tell you some more stories, completely resonated with my soul, <laughs> resonated with my heart because it broke me in so many ways we're going to see. But this passage, John is going to redefine faith for the people of the first century church. But listen, I think it redefines how we need to look at faith in 2020. So first, before we do that, let's pray. Uh, let's pray one more time and the Lord would speak to us. So would you please bow your heads? <laughs> Father God, uh, first of all, we thank you for this ability for us to be in this location. We thank you for this building that's above our heads. We thank you for uh, the, from the sound to the donuts, the, the, the child care workers, to every single part of this church building, but Lord, also the people of this church. Lord, we thank you that we have this ability to find fellowship with each other. God, we thank you that we have this ability to be able to not only find fellowship with each other, but as our fellowship with each other encourages us to worship you, God, allow us to be able to see that. And Lord, to, and to, to discover you more than that. God, as we open your word, and we read from your word, God, please speak through us. Father God, please please uh, anoint uh, the, the, the words that are to come out, Lord, but also that different people can hear from you and what you have from them. Father, we are so unworthy of your love. We are so unworthy of your grace. And we're going to read right now, Lord, how you desire us to be able to walk in that. So it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Awesome. So this, this is one of my favorite books, this, this passage. John is writing this letter, uh, and he's writing this letter. There's actually like a controversy. Did John actually write this letter? How do we know? And does it match with the gospel that John wrote or revelation that John wrote? And it does, because John loves this word called logos in Greek. And logos is all throughout his text for uh, John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And we're going to read here in a second how John can, continues to bring up this aspect of calling Christ the word. And that's a beautiful image. So John is writing this letter to first century believers in Asia, focusing once again on the importance of the word and how we're in this prologue surrounds the topic of us walking in the word of life. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to walk through these first four verses. John says this in 1 John 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, 
what we observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed. We have seen it, and we testify, and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was then revealed to us. To what we have seen and what we have heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us, so that, you, so that indeed our fellowship who is with the Father and is also with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, we'll hit pause there. We're going to pick up the rest of it later. A few things we need to talk about this passage says. Because we're going to walk through this text. In verse 1, John is beginning. That was from the beginning. Keep in mind, in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. He's beginning this sense of finding the word how Jesus, because this idea of Gnosticism, which was the heresy at the time, was arising. And they're saying maybe Jesus was the created being. Jesus was not an actual part of the Trinity of God, but maybe he was something that God created as like the Son. But that's not at all what John is trying to say. That which was from the beginning. He's emphasizing this. Jesus is not only eternal, but he's also God. Because he can't be God unless he's eternal. And so when we look at this, he's attributing that part in the very beginning of the sentence. And then that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, is what some verses would say, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Not only is First John, when he's writing this letter, he's not really, he's combating a lot of things that are going on in the church at that time. But one of the things he's really combating is this idea of, of what faith looked like, but also what fellowship looked like, but also what other religions are proclaiming. Like I said, I was in Israel, and this was on the Friday of Shabbat, and which is like Sabbath. And at that moment, they said right at sundown, which is at like 6 p.m. there, right at sundown, you can hear the Islam prayer going off. You can hear the bells of the Jewish church, synagogue going off, and you can hear the bells of the Christian church going off. And the Armenians are just kind of quiet in their corner. But in these three churches, you hear all of them at the same time. And is that not a good picture of our world? I mean, you can go to Walmart right now, even in more Oklahoma, and you can be just surrounded by so many people from different faiths, different backgrounds. But what's John saying right here? The God that we have heard, the God that we have seen, the God that we have looked at, and we've actually touched with our hands. John is trying to proclaim this. I have not only does our God, does he love us, he's a divine, but our God, we, he was here. He came down. What other religion in this world will have the God and the glory of all come down to the form of a person to live with us? No other religion has any other aspect of coming down in the form of humility to come down and be tortured like our God did to the person of Jesus Christ. John's emphasizing that. And that's what we get from here. So since I moved from college, I was telling them earlier, um, and like, I live like 45 minutes away, which is like enough time for me to go back and get money and come right back in time for class, which, ask me, I've done that multiple times uh, to my parents, but uh, it's like further enough, my mom thinks she has to call me all the time, and if she's watching this, love you, um, but uh, she knows that if she does call me, she's not, she, she, why would she call me if she could FaceTime me? You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to hear just you, but I want to see you. I want to actually see what you look like. I think she wants to see what I'm doing, but I think she wants to see what, I'm, what it looks like. So in this moment, John is saying, not only have we heard from him, because Jesus actually taught, Mark, the Gospel of Mark gives a lot of accounts of that, but we also saw him. And not, he goes a step further in 1 John 1, but we've touched him with our hands concerning the word of life. And he is now calling Jesus the actual word of life. And we're going to contribute that to the very part, end of verse 4. That life was revealed. 
the Greek word for that, it actually translates also to the word of manifest, made manifest to us. And so some translations will say that that word was made manifest to us, and we have seen it. And we testify to you and declare to you the eternal life. Now catch this last part of verse 2. The eternal life that was with the Father was revealed to us. What other religion says that? I was... um. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story later today. But I was on a flight. I, was, I spent the entire month of January of 2018 in Nepal. And I was coming back from Nepal. And coming back from Nepal, I actually sat down, and they moved my seat. I was, like, with a team of guys, like five other guys, and they moved my seat because I was on the aisle. And I, got, I was the youngest one, so they just booted me off of that little aisle. Uh, but I got put next to a family uh, who were from Australia, uh, but they also were strong Buddhists from Nepal. Like a Crazy story, but I'll tell you about that later. Um, but in that moment, and I'll tell you the rest of this much later, but understand this. He asked me, because it got to a point where we're talking about the difference between my religion and his religion, and Buddhism and, and Christianity. And this was like the coolest moment of my life to be able to be on an airplane where he can't run anywhere because we're going to have to share each other's faith. And he shared his faith with me before I got to share my faith with him. And so this is what we got down to this agreement was that Buddhism, but not only Buddhism, but every other religion in this world, even Judaism, says that you must be perfect to get to heaven. Every religion in this world says you must do this to get to heaven. You can't do this to go to heaven. You must do this. You must have this perfect, lawful life. And this is what Christianity says. You can't. You've tried, and you won't. So Jesus will do it for you. 1 John 1, 2 the eternal life that was with the Father and was then revealed to us. God, didn't, God, God loved us so much that he decided to share that idea and concept of eternal life with the people on earth, his creation. But look in verse 3. We'll come back to that story because it's a cool story. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. John is emphasizing the importance of fellowship with each other. Because who's he writing this church to? John writes, to, he's writing to early churches and Christians. John was very influential in this concept of the early church. He wanted to be able to have an influence and an encouragement to different bodies of believers because that's what he started doing in Acts chapter 2. So he's emphasizing that we have fellowship with us. We're going to talk about the importance of fellowship within church later, but understand that word right there. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Isn't that an interesting way to end verse 4? If you think about it, John's joy is probably, I mean, like, the dude walked with Jesus. The dude got full off of, like, a pinch of bread and a little bit of fish, but yet he's saying, and I'm writing these things so that my, our joy may be complete. He's not talking about his specific joy. He's not talking about their specific joy. John is writing as a concept as Christians. Jesus is the one that fulfills our joy. And that is the most vital part to realize when you compare Christianity to other religions. Other religions are going to give you a lot, but you're never going to find fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the only thing that can fulfill any empty or loneliness within this world. And John is writing that right now. Look at verse 5. Let's read verses 5 through 10. And I highly encourage you, read the rest of this book in First John. It's a very short book. You can get it done within the scheme of five minutes probably. But read the rest of this book. But this, this first part, 5 through 10, is going to kind of highlight the theme that is going to set within the rest of the book. John says this starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. 
and there is absolutely no darkness within him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, then we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, and if we have fellowship with one another, there's that word fellowship again, and we have fellowship with one another, then the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all of sin. And if we say we have no sin, then we're just deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, please catch this, verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, then we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. I want you guys to, to catch this. So uh, I have a few more stories I want to share, but uh, you're, you're going to have to catch me later because I want to go into this part because this is so, so vital to us in 2020. Because he's writing to this what? Is he writing this to the 2020 church? No. He's writing this to the first century church. But does this work for the 2020 church? Yes. Because this is exactly the same di- issues of idolatry, the same issues of loneliness, the same issues of sin is evident in that church, but is most definitely evident in our church and all, all throughout our world. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there's absolutely no darkness within him. John immediately goes into the doctrine of God. We, 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 we worship, we, we just sang to a God a second ago, uh, with a beautiful time of worship, by the way. Oh my goodness, beautiful time of worship a second ago, and I love being a part of that with you. But I'm reminded as we sing these songs, Forever Reign and King of My Heart, we are singing to a God who not only came down in the form of a person through Jesus, but once again is without any darkness. That is hard for me to concept because I am only full of darkness sometimes in my life. I can't tell you how many times in my life I feel so full of fear. I feel so full of sin. I feel so full of, of insecurities and all these different things that are a part of my life. And I'm just, that is nothing compared to the people who are around me. But the God that we sing, the same God that came down in the person of Jesus, is the God that John is saying right now is 100% full of light and absolutely no darkness within him. And he relates that directly. Look at the next, next verse. For if we say that we have fellowship with him, talking about God, yet we walk in darkness and we are lying, we are not practicing the truth. I think John's addressing something that's really evident in that church. I, I, I think it's evident in that church. I think it's evident in our church. Not like this specific church, but the church of our world. And it's this idea that nobody, nobody really likes to say this word in the church because it kind of gives us an, a yucky feeling. But it's like concept of hypocrisy. That's what he's saying. If we say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I've got fellowship with God. Yeah, I read my Bible. Yeah, I, 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 have, I go to a church. Yeah, I serve all these different things. But reality is, I, that is just a perfect cover-up because I just have this true, true desire for sin rather than that. And that is a, such a pure concept that was in our world because here's the deal. The scripture even says in Hebrews that there, that there is pleasure for sin. There, there's actual enjoyment and impartial fulfillment for, from sin. But it says that only happens for a season. Because here's the deal. John is writing this message. And I believe the majority of that church is finding fulfillment through things of this world. But reality is they're proclaiming something where they're having a relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... And if we have fellowship with one another, then the blood of Jesus, his son, then cleanses us from all of our sin. I'm not asking you to, to, to say, like, I'm going to 
I'm not asking you to go out and say, yeah, I'm, this is my sin. This is my sin. This is my sin. And that is not at all this idea of shrouding our, our mistakes and our hangups and habits. That is not what I think John is trying to get at. What he's, I think he's trying to get us this concept is to give that to him, to the Lord. Not necessarily scream it and bring because here's the deal. This concept of shame is very evident, but I want us to, to grab this. Look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we already learned that God himself is light. If we walk in him, and there's a key part right after that. I think it says it on there. And if we have fellowship with one another, freedom from sin, freedom from strongholds, John is saying here, is it's found in a relationship with the Lord, but it's, it's needed within our church. Your family might be going through struggles. Your marriage might be going through struggles. Your finances, whatever it is, there might be some sort of, of pain or, 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 or hang up or, or whatever it is. But John, first John 1 is saying this very clearly. We need to walk with him and we need to have fellowship with one another. Because that is that accountability of other Christians John is trying to write at. We're going to move on. Actually, I want us to do this. Um, if you're a note taker, which I highly encourage you to be, if you do take notes, because um, I, I know your pastor spends multiple um, hours and hours uh, preparing his sermons. But when it comes to these things, this is, I, I encourage you to write this down. Because when you find yourself in a time of hurt and in a time of fear or time of pain, you can go back to these things. So if you're writing notes, please write this down. As when we walk in the light, and we're going to talk about walking in the light, but when we walk in the light, it's going to exalt the Savior. It's going to exalt the Savior. I believe that this concept of obedience can be worship. I don't have any kids, uh, none, none that I, nope, no kids. Uh, I, I do have a dog, though, okay? And if I tell, if I tell my dog to, to come here, my, I don't know if you guys ever had a puppy, but I have a puppy, and her name is Belle. My family thinks I love Belle more than I love my family, and they're right. I do. I love my dog so much, okay? And if I tell my dog to come, like, or to sit, or to roll over, uh, and she does those things because I've trained her. And I feel like I've done a good job training her. But if I tell her to do these things and she does do these things, then it's a really exciting moment in my life because I feel like, man, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. I, now, don't take this the wrong way, but listen to this. If God has called us to do and live a life that we are supposed to, and if we do that and we live in the way that he has us, obedience is worship. And we walk in the light because God desires us to walk in the light. That is going to bring him glory and exalt our Savior. Next part is this. When we walk in the light, it's going to do this. It's going to expose our sin. Look at verse 8. Or sorry, look at verse 7. If we say we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Uh, I was a part of this great game, which your friend uh, Noah Basinger created. He's, a lot of my, like, really dangerous memories come from a lot of our mutual friends. Uh, but Noah Basinger had this, it, like, snowed and rained. And, like, the day after that, like, because it's Oklahoma, it could be like 20 degrees one day, and then, you know, 89 the next day, and so like now all that snow had turned to this big thing of mud, and we live on a college campus, so there's volleyball courts, so we went and played mud volleyball right after that, and it was like, just think of this really disgusting game of mud volleyball, and then double that, that's what it was, it was disgusting, and I remember there's no greater feeling after, because uh, like, not only is it there, but it's now like stuck to my skin, and the mud is all over. I, I literally, like, not to gross you up, but we found a band-aid in one guy. It was disgusting. And so we go into shower and to, to wash all this. It, it's, a, it's a great feeling to get all that directly off of you. I want you to grasp this, grasp this, because when we are sinful people and we stand in his light, there's no way that we, can't, we can get any dirtier. 
There's no more, there's no way as a dirty person, dirty, muddy person from playing a mud volleyball game, as the longer I stood in that shower, my dirtiness was not going up, but in fact, it was going down. Did I get clean immediately? No. Was I spotless a second ago? No. But what it did was it was this desire of as the water was coming down and cleansing me from all this mud and disgustingness all over my body, that is what God desires for us because we're sinful, fearful, lost, insecure people. And if we walk in his light as he is in his light, then there's no way that darkness can overcome that. If you are struggling with whatever it is, and maybe, here's the deal, maybe you're not, but I promise you, you know somebody who is. I promise you, you go to work, you have a family member, you have somebody in your neighborhood who is struggling and overwhelmed with insecurity, fear, and sin. And reality is they need to hear this message, that there is freedom when we walk and we love and we live in his light. John is writing that to his church, but that is so evident to us today. Verse 9, my favorite part of this entire part, and I encourage you, to, this is one of the most important verses you can memorize as a Christian. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. That word righteous in Greek is dikaios, and it also means just. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Isn't that good? Think about that. That's the God we serve. That when we go and we mess up, uh, let's just say I adopted a kid right here. I love this. I love adoption. I'm a big advocate for adoption. Let's say I adopted a kid. And let's say uh, he went over and for some reason he just punched John in the face. We don't know why you were there, man. I'm sorry. My, my son over here just goes and punched John in the face. He comes back to me and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I, I messed up. Will you please adopt me again? I would be like, pause. <laughs> I don't need to adopt you again. I did, why would I do that? And he goes, well, I messed up. I, I, I did what you told me not to. And I was like, well, no, I told you to punch. Just kidding. I said, <laughs> no, but like, he's, I messed up. I made this mistake. Why don't you, can you please adopt me again? And I'm, I would be like, no, my adoption knows no bounds of what you could do because my adoption is beyond who you are, what you could do, but is in fact found in our relationship. That is what it is like as a Christian. Because I promise you, as a Christian in this life, and especially in 2020, you're going to find yourself making choices and doing decisions that we're going to put us farther from God. But in reality, that adoption of Christ is going to keep us there. We can continue to go back to our Father. Luke 15 is a beautiful picture of this. Luke 15 as the parable child, as the son who completely took his inheritance, took everything and left in his father, and he completely made a fool of his father. And then he came back. His father had a party for him. That is the relationship that we have with our Lord. No matter how dirty, no matter how sinful, no matter how messed up we are, because we can get messed up. I know it. Our Lord can take us and brings us back as who we are. You probably know that. And I love that. There are people surrounded by you who need to hear that. Kind of brings us to this next part. Walking light's going to expose our sin. We talked about that. As we walk in the light, it's going to expose our sin. Um, my little, I have a, I have a ten-year-old brother, and uh, he still has toys. And I actually thought about this one uh, after the um, getting ready for the service. And he, uh, I kid you not, he like has you know those are visible ink pens, some of the coolest things. You can like write down all your things, and nobody would know what it is. Or like the, that little blue light, they can turn it back on. That's what this is. When we walk in the light and we compare ourselves to His Word of Life, this is where we can find. What is sinful and what is wrong in our life is when we compare ourselves to what the Lord has designed for us. Walking that's going to expose our sin. 
verse 8, John reminds us that we're human. God is, we are human and we are not God. Oh, here's another important part that nobody, nobody's born into this concept of walking the light. John's emphasizing that we need to walk in the light. We need to pursue living the light. Nobody's born into that. In fact, we're born into a very sinful world, and we have to decide that we, we have to live a life that brings us closer into the light. So it kind of brings us to the last part, verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, then we make him out to be a liar. And his word, there's that word, word again, is not in us. So let me rephrase that. If we have not sinned, we may not to be a liar in his word, and Christ himself is not in us. I want us to grab this, because Christians still sin, but at the same time, Christians shouldn't want to sin. Just because you're saved does not, not mean you have a get-out-of-jail-free card, does not mean you have the ability for you to, I'm saved now, I got baptized, I got the t-shirt, I've done it, I can go sin all I want. That is not what a relationship with the Lord is. Matthew 5, 6 says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I think is a beautiful picture of what a Christian life should be, is when we are hungry and we are thirsty for more, and we're not satisfied for that. So John, 1 John 1, 10 says this, if we say we have not sinned, first of all, you need to realize this, you have sinned, and you will sin, and you are a sinner. And the last thing you want to do is make the Lord out to be, to be a liar. So the last thing is this, walking in the light is going to excuse the sinner in our life. That should bring joy to you. Because if you're a Christian, and if you, if you have a relationship with God, you should think, man, I know that is awesome because that has happened to me. I know that this walking the light concept, this, this pursuing the Lord, walking in the logos, I know that is an awesome thing because that's happened to me. And that's awesome. But church, guys, there's people around you. We're surrounded by those. And I think it's so easy for us to ignore them or maybe to think the Lord will work in their heart on their own and his timing. But reality is, is God has ordained and used you as a Christian to be able to be uh, like this idea of con- contagious, of being contagious with those around you, to share your faith with those around you. And that's exactly what John is trying to get this message off to. And he actually goes into that in the rest of his, his epistle. So I wanted to, I'll, I'll end with... Um, with this story. Well, first of all, let me tell you this. Uh, I got to share the gospel with that guy in, in Nepal. Uh, his name was uh, Najib, and he was an awesome dude. Uh, he was from Nepal, and uh, we got to share my faith, and he actually, I was like, dude, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Sydney, Australia. I'm like, I know one church in Sydney. It's called Hillsong, but I'll find another. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he, but he, he eventually, uh, we, we keep up on Facebook, which is really cool. And it's the fact of, and he's in this concept of comparing our religion to his religion, and all of the religions is that other religion in this world says you must be perfect to go to heaven. You must be right to be per- to go to heaven. You must be lawful. You must do all these things. All Christianity says you can't, you won't. So Jesus did it for you. Brings me to this last part of my story. So we're in Israel. This was a month ago yesterday. Cool story. We got to go to this place called the Western Wall. If you know anything about Israeli history, this is a really cool part of the story, and especially the holy tour of Israel. But as we go to the Western Wall, what it is is like a picture this big square. Uh, I have no idea how big it is, but within it is shops and synagogues and temples and schools and old Jerusalem. And on the Jewish side, like I said, there are the four religions. On the Jewish side, facing the west, is the Western Wall. And we have a picture of it, actually. Now, this Western Wall, there would be thousands upon thousands of Jews. And they would come throughout the week, but primarily on Friday, which was Shabbat, they would go and they would pray at this wall. 
And while they're praying at this wall, it's kind of like a cool moment because you're in, in their mind they're thinking, it's just me and God. And like they say, you can like look up and you can actually see God. And you can actually, and that, that's what's going on in their ideals. And they take prayers and they write on paper and they stuff it into the wall. And it's a, it's a really an interesting way for them to be able to, to pray. So they took our, you know, me and my school and the other schools with us, they took us there. I actually didn't take this photo. This was off Google Images, but this is exactly how I remember it. I feel much more crowded than it is there, and we go there, and they said, well, you need to go pray. So I actually had to wear uh, a yarmulke on my head, and I still have it. I stole it on accident, um, and uh, we, got to, we got to go there, and we go to this wall, and it's a squeeze through, and it's really cool. They have, they're singing Shema. There's young boys in the back who are just singing the Shema over and over from, Deut- from Deuteronomy, and they're singing praises to God, to Yahweh, and they're singing songs. We can't wait for our Messiah. We can't wait for our Messiah, and that's the Jewish culture. They're, how we, as Christians, believe Jesus was the Messiah. He was the atonement. He was the answer. Jews are thinking, yeah, he was a prophet. We want somebody else. We want the Messiah. So what they're doing here is they're praying, waiting, and hoping that their Messiah will one day come and to answer that prayer. So we go there, and we're squeezing through the prayers. I even got the, we just learned the Shema in my like Hebrew class, and so I got to like know some of the words, and we're jumping around singing. No idea what's going on. It was like the Shema, Smosh Pit, Smosh Pit, as we called it. It was really cool. So we're jumping around, and we eventually get to the wall and grab this. This was, like, to this day, one of the most monumental, you know, shaking moments of my life. A month ago, we go, and I'm surrounded by uh, pe- like, I'm surrounded by people from uh, all throughout Israel, and some even Americans who had moved to Israel uh, f- solely for like a religious, um, re- solely for the religious reasons. So I can hear Christian, I can hear, I can hear English prayers, and I can hear Hebrew prayers, and I can just hear these people praying. I'm hearing names, I'm hearing numbers, I'm hearing things people saying. Obviously praying for finances, obviously praying for for wisdom. And these people are bringing these things to God, and they're saying, God, we we need help. We need you to fulfill this. God, we need you to give us answers in this. God, we need you to show us what is happening. And they're praying for fulfillment. So I got to go there as a Christian. I got to face that wall. I remember praying. And it actually brought me the tears because I'm praying for the same, to the same God, but my God answered that prayer through Jesus. And these people don't know that, and they don't realize that. That the, 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 there's people next to me who are praying because their marriage is failing or because their financial reasons are hurting. Maybe their kids have run away. Maybe whatever it is, maybe it's something, that, and if this was in America, it'd be drug problems. It'd be, it'd, it'd be habits and hangups and addictions that are hurting families and people are praying there. What they don't realize is the fulfillment of joy is not found in the hopes of a Messiah, but in the love of the Messiah that came. And that's within Jesus. And so I think that culture and mindset of finding fulfillment through other things is evident in more Oklahoma, too. I think it's evident in your jobs, the people you work with, the families. If you have kids... Uh, as they grow up, and especially in the world they're growing up in, they're going to grow up in a place, in a world that's going to tell them to find fulfillment in other things. Reality is this, and this is what John writes. We walk in the light as he himself is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus is enough, and it's going to cleanse us from our sin. We can't miss that as Christians, and we can't not share that as believers. Because that is what we are here for. Will you pray for me? This, will you pray with me this morning, Father God? Um, first of all, God, you're so grateful 
that we just have this opportunity to worship with you. God, we are so grateful that we have this blessing to actually be in a building where we can sing praises to you, where we can be in a building where we can freely uh, relax, and, but also bring worship to you. Lord, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries who don't have that, so Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. God, I ask that as we, Father, as we opened your word, Lord, as you showed for us the life you desire for us, as you show us the the, the lifestyle and the desires and the hunger you have for us, Lord, I ask that, Lord, that just becomes evident within this church. So much to a point, Lord, where, God, and there's, there's times in this church, I'm sure it feels as if that we uh, are, are in, in this, this period of, of confusion. We're in a period of anxiety. We're in a, purity of, uh, a period of, of hurt. Whatever it is, Lord, I ask that we find fulfillment once again in you. Psalm 51 from, from David, Lord, as he, even though he was a very sinful man, Lord, he, he prayed to you and he sang to you, Lord, create in me a, a pure heart, but also restore me the joy of your salvation, Lord. Make that be the prayer of many people here. Restore in us the joy of your, your salvation from walking in your light. God, we, we don't deserve your grace. And there's people out here who don't. But Lord, we ask that they, they so, as they so need it, we, we so share it. So God, we ask that you, uh, you give us the strength to share it. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. We give you glory. Amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you if there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.